0: Could they possibly be saying? Because by doing this, you violate your own credibility and it will take a very long time to earn that back. I have an issue with with the bar that I work at and whatever they put on their TVs. What the f- are you doing? Especially when it comes to sports, because in sports, you solidify your credibility by having an ability to spew out stats at will. Every TV in the bar is showing the Ottawa Red Blacks game. Good morning, everybody. This is episode 5 of Good Morning Varsity. It is Saturday, March 2nd. We got some guests on the show today. Look, I clearly look like I just woke up. Wow, I look terrible. Um... Whatever, dude. It's the morning. Uh, we got some guests on the show today. We got uh, Kristen Anderson. She's a beat reporter for the Calgary Flames. Um, and we have Spencer Kite, uh, always one of my favorite guests. He is an MMA writer for SportingNews.com. And, uh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it is March. It is finally March, which means, believe it or not, we will have regular season baseball at the end of the month. Which is huge. Um, before I get into that, before I get into baseball, uh, let me just address this. I did something on my podcast last week that I was I was wrong about, um, and I don't know how I was so wrong about this, but I ended up having to take this out of the podcast. Uh, so I got the initial news the same way that, um, anyone else initially gets the news, and I did something dumb, and rather than sit down and read it and internalize it and, um, you know, really know what I was talking about, I decided to just talk about it before I even knew what it was, so the story was Robert Kraft, um... Maybe I, maybe it was fake news, whatever I read. Maybe I had just misinterpreted the article. But essentially, I thought that he was running a prostitute. Oh, there's just a fire alarm going on outside. I live on the 11th floor of the building. So anytime a fire alarm goes off, I'm going to be a little alarmed myself. Because I don't want to burn on this building. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, I thought that Robert Kraft was running a prostitution ring. I swear that's what I read. But... You know, at the end of the day, if you want to be a good journalist, you uh, you got to have your facts straight. And it's a good thing that under 100 people watch this podcast because no one's going to know about it. Um, but yeah, that was, that was some false reporting on my part. Robert Croft did not run a prostitution ring. He, and this is why I didn't even think that this would have made the news because... All he really got was a hand job. I don't know how that made the news. Uh, you know, he just got his little rub and tug from the massage, and that—that somehow—that's flo- still flooding news. And there was a sting on it, and he got charged. I didn't even think that you can get charged for doing that. I guess it was because the women uh, who was working at this massage parlor, they were, they weren't just your average, you know, masseuses, they were, they themselves were, um, victims of a prostitution ring, so, I was wrong about that, um, I'm sure there's gonna be many times in this life where I'm gonna be wrong about something, and I'm gonna, um, you know, deliver false news, but, uh, Let's move on. You know something that I was right about last week. I had said MLB contracts—they're gonna—they're gonna just increase, and in every contract you see these days are just gonna get juicier and juicier. Um, you know, right after Manny Machado, right after he signed that uh, three hundred million dollar contract with the Padres, I knew that it was only gonna get bigger. And what did we get? We got Nolan Arenado. He signed with the Colorado Rockies. He signed. Eight years, $268 million, with an average payout of $32.5 million every year. Then what did we get? Thursday, we, we had Bryce Harper sign with the Philadelphia Phillies for $330 million. For 13 years, he'll be making $26 million every year up until 2029. And then he'll be making $22 million for the next three years. Um, and dude, I'm, I'm like trying to think, you know, at what point did these people even stop caring about the sport of baseball? He's guaranteed to make 13 or he's guaranteed to make $330 million over the span of 13 years. I don't think that he needs to prove to anyone how good of a baseball player he is because by the time that contract is over, he's going to be 39 years old. So he's not he, he's lost any uh, need to compete. But we'll see. Um, yeah, he'll be going to the Philadelphia Phillies. Obviously, as a Braves fan, this bothers me because um, he's going to be sticking around in the NL East. Um, but at the same time, you know, he w- he would have stuck in the division anyway. So that's also why I kind of do like the deal. Um, it, there's there's not much changeover. Um, had he resigned with Washington, he would have been in the NL East. So, so I, I don't I don't mind the deal that much. Um, you know, also you, you you're obviously going to get a bunch of series with the Phillies facing the Nationals, and everything that. Bryce Harper did for the city of Washington and everything that he did for that franchise I don't think that it that any of that's going to matter. This guy is public enemy number 1. This guy is going to be, you know, remember when LeBron went to uh Cleveland for the first time and you know, fans had erupted. I think this is the new version of that. Um and I think that the first the first game uh that happens in Washington um I guarantee that that you're you're gonna see the same kind of attention that was given to LeBron um you know when he was on Miami and he returned to Cleveland we're gonna see the same kind of attention uh and I think that um, you know sports media broadcasts they're gonna be given the same kind of attention to uh to Bryce Harper. Returning to Washington, and I think that he's going to get booed tremendously. Um, so we look forward to that. Uh, moving on, Jerome McGinley—he gets his number retired tonight. Um, for those of you, for those that know me, you guys know that uh, Jerome McGinley—he's my favorite player of all time, and um, you know tonight tonight he gets his is his number honored by the Flames. He's actually only the third Calgary Flame to ever have his number retired right behind Mike Vernon and right behind Laney McDonald. All right, quick story. Um, When I was nine years old, um, I was a big Alexei Yashin fan. I was a New York Islanders fan. Um, And all of a sudden, this guy just up and leaves the country because he wants to go play in Russia, and he wants to go play for, boatloads of cash, and, you know, he's sick of the NHL, Uh, I had no idea what I was doing, I was nine years old, so, I needed a new favorite player, essentially, I needed a new team to cheer for, and Jerome McGinley was that guy, Jerome McGinley was my next favorite player, so I started following him, and I started following the Calgary Flames, and, like I said I was nine years old so if it wasn't for Jerome McGinley and if it wasn't for Calgary Flames I think that I would have lost all faith in hockey I don't think that I would be a hockey the same kind of hockey fan that I am today um you know but a 10 year old me you know the next year when I was 10 years old and I was watching Jerome McGinley um lead this team to a Stanley Cup and not only lead a team to the Stanley Cup and not only score goals but be a guy who would stand up for his team, stand up for himself, getting fights with the opposing team, getting fights with the captain, be one of the toughest guys on the ice. Um, you know, I, I, I was all in. I was like, that is, that is my guy. Uh, I mean, he, he wasn't only a guy that, um, you know, could light the lamp every night. He could, this guy was actually the most, one of the most consistent power forwards of all time, and if you look at his numbers, he, he he was one of those guys who would put up 80 points, 90 points, almost every year that he was in the league, um, so it's a big deal that Jerome McGinn is getting his number retired tonight, it's a big deal for Flames fans, big deal for me, big deal for the franchise, um, and I would love to talk more, and I'm going to talk more about it, but uh, we're going to turn towards uh my next guest we're going to let her do that um, she is kristen anderson she's a beat reporter for the calgary flames so without further ado here is my interview with kristen anderson uh are you aware that there is a fairly popular republican pollster of the same name kristen anderson who lives in the united states no i didn't know that there is I, I... change changed my name, and
1: so it's actually the most generic name, so <laughs> yeah. funny
0: being a reporter that, it's like, it's, yeah, so... <laughs> well, I was, I was just trying to do my background, I was just trying to do a little bit of research, and then the first name that popped up. I don't even know what a pollster is. Do you know what a pollster is? No idea. Uh, she conducts interviews with fellow Republicans, and uh, she tries to determine who the best candidates are in different regions throughout <laughs> the United States. <laughs> Okay, so fortunately this isn't Kristen Anderson, the popular Republican pollster. This is Kristen Anderson, beat reporter for the Calgary Flames, and if you follow her on social media, you will notice that she is not only a reporter, Kristen, uh, you are also a mother. You just had a baby under a month ago, so congratulations on that. Thank you so much. And for the viewers, be forewarned that a baby uh, crying may be heard in the background, and if that does happen, uh, I guess that should be our cue to wrap this thing up. (laughs) Calgary is uh it's happening with number retire t- retiring it's a big news event Absolutely retirement. absolutely and we're yeah. we'll, we'll we'll get to that um in a minute uh but so are you still working while uh during during all of this or are you kind of like stepping back like writing a little bit Well it's funny because Right. So, I don't think they have uh, been this good for, you know, maybe 30 or so years. Well, yeah, I know. Exactly. So um, basically we're um, ending, I'm going to probably end my maternity leave early. So I'll be back um when the playoffs start just because it's wow. uh, such an exciting time. Yeah, you're too excited um, to just kind of sit on the sidelines. As a journalist, I guess there's just some uh, sacrifices that need to be made. Uh, did you see, uh, you know, just before we get into all of that, did you see last night what happened with John Tavares and uh, his return to New York? Yeah, and that's not
1: surprising just based on the market. Um, the market that is the New York Islanders. Like, to me, that wasn't surprising having covered games there. Just their fans are a little bit more intense. Um it was disappointing, I guess, but
2: still, because he you know, spent so many years with the Islanders that I yeah. think you know, he deserves a little bit more respect. But, um, hey,
1: it's you know, I, I saw somewhere on Twitter that um it probably would have happened if the same thing would've happened in Philadelphia. Uh, just because the fans
0: are so yeah, it could have been worse. Probably would have been worse had that been in Philadelphia. Luckily, um, I, I don't know. They haven't had any superstars in that team for a very long time, other than Claude Giroux. But nobody's ever left that team, uh, and they haven't been very good. And the Islanders haven't been very good either. This this actually might be the best year that the Islanders have had in quite some time. And it's just you know it's surprising that they're taking all of their anger out on. John DeWars, because doesn't really seem like there's much anger to be had. I was I was kind of considering this like the uh, the whole LeBron James thing. But when LeBron James left Cleveland, he left that team in shambles when he was in Miami. Well, and comparatively in Calgary, when Jerome McGinley
1: left um, in two thousand and thirteen, the lockout season. It, it, I mean, people knew like fans here in Calgary
2: understand, and fans you know fans Calgary. Right. The, league understand that it was probably time and it was the best thing for him as a player to go chase his Stanley cup. It didn't end that way. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: like, you know, he, he's such a classy guy
0: that uh, people kind of gave him the, the respect. He yeah, it was it, it was very different in Calgary, I would say. You know, we wanted the best. Uh, I, I keep saying we. I'm, I'm a huge Calgary Flames fan, but I'm not from Calgary. But I'm going to try and refrain from saying we. But I guess the city of Calgary really wanted Jerome... They wanted the best for him. It wasn't like the John Tavares thing. I mean, Jerome was traded. and um, But you know what, Kristen? Let's let's, let's get to the important stuff. Uh, because tomorrow night, and well, you know what? For viewers' sake, the podcast comes out on Saturday morning. So let's just say, tonight, Jerome McGinley's number will be retired versus the Minnesota Wild. Um, and you've been covering the Flames for the past six years. And if my math serves me correct you would have just been starting out the same year that Jerome actually left the city of Calgary. Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so you started the same year, um, you would have started maybe in September covering Calgary, and then it, it was, I guess, that February that he was traded. Yeah, um, it was, and, and i covered the team sporadically right. prior to that, so I had some um, dealings and interactions Jerome
1: again over the years um, so it was um, uh, you know that day I remember it like it was yesterday you know you we were following that game like you know kind of, we knew that it was going to happen we knew that he was going to be traded and he sat out and it was sort of just a matter of where he was going to go and then when it happened it was so dramatic because everybody thought that he was going to go to Boston and he eventually did go to Boston but then it was in, it was Pittsburgh Yeah. So, you know the way that it went down it was kind of was it was really hastily you know thrown together you know he was so emotional that day and of course he was still playing so he was you know he kind of had to move on on quickly Mm -hmm. but he didn't quite get the send-off that
0: you know i think he deserved at that time uh yeah this is this is the proper thing to do in Calgary. this is the right thing to do in my mind for sure there was a long stretch of seasons where, you know, Calgary was rebuilding and they had missed the playoffs for, you know, it was like five straight years. And in the middle of that whole time, uh, Jerome, he got traded basically in the middle of, of, of all of that. What was it like covering the team after those years? Yeah, it, was super weird.
1: Like I, it was so all over the place in my mind. Um, there were so many things that needed to be cleaned up. Um, you know, even heading into Jerome's twilight years with the Calgary Flames, like, uh, there were so many players with bad contracts, um, and players that just, you know, were at the tail ends of their career, um, they got rid of Jay Bolmeister, Mika Kippersoff was on his way out, um, it, it, I have to say that, you know, it was rebuilding, um, under Jay Feaster, you know, that season after Jerome left, yeah. um, yeah. When Bob Hartley came in and then um, Brian Burke was eventually hired there in Calgary, um, it was like there was optimism. You know, they had just drafted Sean Monaghan that summer, and so he was sort of the cornerstone of the rebuild. Mark Giordano was named the um, team captain. Goaltending issues were still there. Um, they had no, relatively no secondary scoring at all. Um, the defense was still work in progress, mm-hmm. he was still rounding into form, so it was it's been a long time coming like this rebuild, you know, I guess you'd say it's the last six years since Jerome McGill left, and it's there's been, you know two different coaches, three different coaches if you count Bill Peters um, with after
2: uh, you know, after that, so it, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's been, it's been interesting. an interesting ride,
1: you know, this is the culmination of a lot of bad years and a lot of stumbling along the way um, it it, it, uh, it definitely wasn't I mean it was sort of the, uh, it, it was a shift in culture you could say when Jerome again well left and it, it, it was a much sort of needed
0: change it was fresh uh, but it's also sad you know Yeah, and, you know, as a Flames fan myself, you know, it's funny that you say the rebuild because it was the rebuild that made me more angry than anything. It made me more angry than Jerome actually leaving Calgary um, because it took such a long time to happen, and there were three different GMs during that entire time. Uh, You know, in the team, they didn't really have an identity, and, you know, it was actually kind of of hard to establish this so-called rebuild, you know, when you keep having new faces pop up. And I think that any of them I don't think that any of them actually ever came out and said, "We're this or we're that." So it was like, okay, are we are we making the playoffs, or are we going to you know try and tank and, and get a, a top three draft pick? So you know, the years after those two years after Jerome left, it um I can only imagine. Um, it would have just been. It would have been tough in Calgary, and almost eerily similar—not quite as bad, but to the city that I'm living in right now, in Ottawa, and what's going on here. It you have to. Each club will eventually go
1: through these lulls and these, you know, um, kind of dynasty changes and, and personnel changes. Um, just based on the salary cap structure nowadays, and, and the way that your teams build, it used to be just you know be really bad
2: for a few years and then get you know top round pick in the first round pick mm-hmm.
1: um ala pittsburgh you know in 2005 after the lockout and uh, stay with washington as well it's it, it just it, it's it's a different time in the national hockey league there's lots of um you know, turn, turnover it's it's about managing salary cap and getting kind of good players that will sort of build around and then fill in the gaps as, as you see fit so um Yeah, for a lot of years in Calgary, it felt like, what are they doing? Are they sort of taking, you know, a few steps forward to take a few steps
2: back? I think that's the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Comparable, we compare it to what's happening in Edmonton um, with
1: how bad that that team has been. Um, for consecutive years, and still hasn't gotten any better. With even with having first round picks, so um, doesn't necessarily work all the time in practice. So I think the Flames just you know have, have been fortunate to have been able to avoid that. They made the playoffs you know in two of the four years that Brad Trilling has been in Calgary. This is Treliving's fifth year. So, um, but but what has he done? Like what has this team done? And I think you know this year is sort of oh well, I mean Brad Treliving's job. You, you sort of on the line you know there's lots of questions heading into this season is this sort of this is sort of it for him um, if he can't get something done with the, in, the, in the off season and this team kind of can't come together you know I think there was maybe questions about that
0: no, absolutely not. Um, Brad Living has done some amazing things for uh, for Calgary. And, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, if we're being honest, I actually think that Jerome was traded maybe even five years too late. Um, because the team, like you said, they, they never really did get a whole lot of value for him. Um, and, you know, two years later after the draft, all of a sudden, the Flames, they're a playoff team, and Jerome is, you know, he's actually on a team that's no no longer a playoff team. He was on the Colorado Avalanche, I think, at that time when we had Bob Hartley um, in 2014-2015. Was there ever a buzz, Kristen, back when you were covering um, the team? Was there ever a buzz to get Jerome back on the team? I think... I, I don't think so. It, personally,
1: I don't I think there was ever a question of bringing, you know, in the old guard and bringing him back. I think, you know, him retiring... Like he's such a proud and competitive guy that he honestly probably thought last year that he could have played. Like I, I was at the uh, press conference in the summer when they made the decision. He made the decision to retire, and there was a quite a celebration here in Calgary uh, in the summertime, you know, for it. I, I never thought once that he would be back. I mean, everybody, that's the dream, you know. You you wanted him to come back and, and retire as a flame and, and he is and he will and and this is the you know this weekend is sort of the culmination of that but i never thought that he would come back and play in calgary I mean, it was just not the direction the flames were going and uh, you know jerome of chasing a cup in the years that you know the flames had a close chance i mean i don't think they ever really had a close chance since he left um, other than this year. So, no, I never really got the sense that he would come back and play in Calgary after he left. Um, and, you know, that's sports. Like, it's just, you don't always get the happy ending. You don't always get the, the magical. And Jerome, was, again, was going to retire with all these accomplishments and it's such a great story career. Um, uh, a fan favorite and, you know, won't have a
0: Stanley Cup, but um, it's just this is the cruel nature of sports. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um and I know that you told me that uh you actually did some stories on Jerome and you knew him a little bit uh before you started covering the Flames as a beat reporter. Um and I know you did you said or I think I read that you did some stories on Jerome after he was a Flame as well. Did you did you have any sort of relationship with Jerome? What was, what was that like as a as a journalist covering him?
1: guy and the most polite and the most
0: um amicable uh very respectable uh, for media yeah like i've had so many wonderful dealings with
1: him over the years um when he was in boston and i was uh, first on the beat um when he actually was traded he always recognized you always say hi it's wow. um it, it, he, like always made that extra moment just to make eye contact and answer your questions and like yeah I remember uh, Peter Hamlin, he's the vice president of communications in Calgary uh media relations um he'd always sort of watch uh Jerome McGinnis scrums and he'd have to uh end them for him because he, he's just so polite he'd
2: answer wow.
0: every single question for as long as it took so um that's 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 Jerome McGinley in a nutshell if I know this is going to be hard. Uh, This is my last question, by the way, about Jerome McGinley. But if you could pick any of all the years you spent as a fan and as a resident of Calgary, as a reporter, as a beat journalist, if you could pick any Jerome McGinley moment or memory uh, from his time with the Flames, what was your favorite one? And you can sit back and think about it maybe for a couple seconds because I know it's hard.
1: at the 2010 Olympics, and um, past Sidney Crosby, that, that, that wonderful pass, and um, the golden goal, just goes dead in history, is one of my favorites, so it's, you know, what, although
2: it wasn't his, a Calgary Flames moment, I mean, it's, yeah. there's so many moments through the 20, 2004 Stanley Cup playoff run, but that that
1: golden goal pass, it just gives me shivers when I think about it, and talk about it,
0: Yeah, hear uh, Chris Cuthbert's call of it, so um, that's probably my favorite memory of him. Okay, there she goes, ladies and gentlemen. That is Kristen Anderson. She is a beat reporter for the Calgary Flames. Um, she she had to wrap up the interview a little early, obviously understandable. She's a full time mother. She had a she had a baby uh, less than a month ago, so completely understandable. Um, and there she is. Thank you for joining the show. Uh, you can check out um Jerome Ginla's number being retired tonight. That That goes down at 10 p.m. Eastern time. The Flames will play the Minnesota Wild, and before that game, they will honor the career of Jerome McGinley and raise his number 12 up to the rafters. And it will stay there for as long as the Calgary Flames are a franchise. His number will be there forever. Um, Also going down at 10 p.m. Eastern time tonight is UFC 235. John Jones puts his title on the line against Anthony Lionheart Smith, light heavyweight championship. Uh, and hey, guess what? Uh, was John Jones in the news again? Yes. Um, was it something ne- negative? Yes, of course it was. Uh, did the media um, vaguely say that it was trace metabolites of a banned substance in his? system but they didn't further elaborate on that whatsoever yes of course they did because this is what is going on with john jones i think that this story of steroids is going to follow this guy for the rest of his life i don't think that we're ever going to actually get um john jones uh i i I don't think that john jones is ever going to be able to live without this even when there are times maybe john jones actually is clean in the sport i think that there will be stories surrounding this guy anytime that he'll ever be in the news about anything the story of him him taking steroids will uh, it will spring up it will find media everywhere will find uh, will find a way um, but I've, i i kind of respect that in a way because you know what all the commissions all the fighting commissions they want their money and they want this guy to fight so and the ufc it, now wants this guy to fight, so it's like, okay, is this guy cheating, or is he, what's going on here, because it almost seems like everybody's just turning a blind eye, just because it's John Jones, everybody wants to see him fight, you're going to make a lot of money off this guy, so, you know, it happened, uh, it happened in his last fight, they had to move the fight from Nevada to California, he had some picograms, or whatever, in his system, Um, regardless of that, the card is stacked, Uh, Tyron Woodley and Kamara Usman are on the card, uh, fight for the welterweight title, Um, and of course, Robbie Lawler will be facing newcomer Ben Askring, it is a stacked card, top to bottom, not much more needs to be said other than that, so without further ado, uh, joining me on the show, I guess we can, at this point, we can call him a... A regular guest um, I, I, th- I think that's safe to say it's it's been a while since we've last seen him but ladies and gentlemen here he is returning to the show is Spencer Kite of Sporting News here is the interview up. so it's been a little it's been a little while since we last spoke but it's good to have you back on the show thank you for doing this
3: uh, I appreciate you reaching out.
0: absolutely man um, so since that time uh, it has actually been announced that the UFC will be coming to my town uh, in Ottawa, and rumors have it that the main event will be Derek Brunson and Elias Theodoro. Uh, Should I even go?
3: (laughs) Um, Have you been to a live event before?
0: I have. I have. I've been to three. Um, And I don't think that this would even be on the uh, prelim main event of any of the three that I've been to. Okay.
3: Uh, and it's also going to be at the Canadian Tire Centre, so not yes. really actual Ottawa proper. Like you got to go out
0: of town, I, I, yeah. out of the city to do it. So I I went to the, I, mean, I went to the Ottawa one the last time when it was downtown, and they had like the whole uh, the UFC Expo thing outside, and it was cool because it was like right downtown, right?
3: Right, and it but it was hot as I'll get out. in the Were you
0: there? Yeah, yeah. It was hot as hell that day. I remember that.
3: Yeah. I was there, I the they had the they had the AC off that day
0: in the arena. If
3: he, if you get enough, if you get something else as a main event, yeah, then I think it's worth going. If it ends up being a battle of two top fifteen middleweights who are kind of yeah de- destined to stay between ten and fifteen, yeah, then, may- then maybe save your
0: money. Maybe save the money. No, no, that that is funny because there there's there's a lot of funny stories actually from that night. Um, the last time that UFC was in Ottawa, uh, the AC was. Was off, and I I remember during during the main card there was a chant uh, like about turning the AC yep. on. Yeah. Or we want fans or something. I spent a lot
3: of that night outside. Yeah. That will that will express what the that will let you know what it was like. And it you was and it was some interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. But it was just too warm to be. And that... Yeah, on press row
0: the whole night. That's saying something, because in the middle of July in Ottawa, it gets pretty damn hot outside, and inside <laughs> is where you try and go, but, you know, you've yeah. you got no air conditioning. Uh, GSP, what, what were your thoughts on that? Um, were you sad to see him go? Did you think that he left on good terms? Did you want to see him fight again, maybe a fight with Habib further down the road? I'm just not convinced
3: that he's done. Like, Wow, okay. I think, I think when he when you have that announcement and it's, you know, I wanted to have this fight with Khabib, he wanted it, I wanted it, but the UFC didn't want it. That to me tells you that this isn't a like, no, I'm absolutely done, there's nothing left for me. So he still has those things that he's holding out for. And I think if the UFC comes to him in six months, depending
2: on what the year has been like and says, okay, here's the Brinks truck and mm-hmm. here's a beam. Yeah. And we see GFP fight. Like I don't don't think it's a stretch
3: to see a path for him back to the octagon in the next, let's say, 18 months. Because I don't think he's going to go too late. I don't think he's going to hang on too long. He's Mm -hmm. starting to to chase 40 a little bit. Yeah. But I don't think he's like done, done.
0: You know, there's something about Sonnen, and I'm just always so brainwashed by this guy, because he was the one that said, you know this is the first time gSP has actually ever said i retire even in the five years that he was gone he never yep. said i retire but because this is him saying i retire then then he's gonna be gone from the sport but i think that you make a good point um i think that 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 this actually might just be kind of like a a cry for uh I, you know I give mean, me that fight i, mean, I
3: think i think i is the only fight that brings him back um, yeah i don't even know i don't know that there's any allure to connor anymore after no, no. beat him the way he did but yeah if they offered him Habib in the next 18 months two years then i could see him making one more return because he said it at the press conference too yeah so he what happened if dana calls and he's like oh it's like a movie and it's oh my god look who's coming back and i would have to think about it well that's right exactly what it to yeah. be you saw the send-off that you got if you decide to come back, it's going to be
0: twice as big, so... Yeah. Um, the potential's
3: there.
0: So, at the time of this podcast's release, I guess we can say, because, you know, it's tomorrow, but let's just say UFC 235 is tonight, because podcast comes out every Saturday. Um, and with UFC 235 uh, tonight, John Jones will be headlining. But what is going on with John Jones is... I, I just read an article and it said that there were trace metabolites of a banned substance found in his system. Will this stuff, Spencer, will this stuff ever go away or do you think these articles are just clickbait at this point?
3: The funny thing is that it's the same stuff that he's popped for in the past. So it's that same terinobal metabolite that was detected after the last fight with Daniel Corbier. So in actuality, and it's it's the same metabolite that was there prior to the Gustafson fight that prompted the move from Nevada to California. Mm -hmm. And so in actuality, to me, it's better that he keeps having this same metabolite show up in sort of the manner that, you know, the air quotes here, experts and Jeff Nowitzki and, and people like that have talked about it being able to appear over the next bunch of years, because if it didn't, then it becomes sketchy of the there there ends up being that one outlier Mm. but because it's showing up every you know he's having some fights or some tests or it shows up and then others where it doesn't and it is pulsing on and off as they said we would see it sort of validates and justifies everything that they've been saying and as long as it stays within those kind of ranges and elements that they've talked about I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it becomes a thing that we're like, we kind of get used to and we expect because this is what it's supposed to do. And I think if it didn't, if we didn't see it, there would be more reason for concern of like, wait, I thought it was supposed to be present for maybe up to five or seven years. How come he hasn't had anything over the last little while? So it's oddly a good thing to me.
0: Is there any skepticism in you saying that maybe this is actually just the commission? Maybe, you know, turning a little blind eye to all of this and saying whatever simply because it's John Jones. And, you know, I guess if he keeps having this in his system, he could maybe even keep doing this over and over again in small doses.
3: I think because of the amount that keeps registering or or that they get in these tests, it's clear to me that it isn't... You know, John Jones going out and going on a huge
2: cycle of steroids. Right. Okay. Trace of whatever was there. Mm-hmm. And so, if we got something
3: significantly higher than they anticipated, then you have to be really careful and you have to scrutinize that a great deal. But as long as it's within a range that the experts have deemed kind of understandable or acceptable, then I don't really. I mean, at this point, what do you do? Right. Like. Hmm. Do you just ban him for the rest of it? Do you just say, well, every time there's a positive for anything, you can't fight? Maybe that's the way to go, but, you know, I don't see the UFC deciding to throw away that money. I don't see the Nevada Athletic Commission deciding to throw away that money. And so, this feels like it's the new normal with John Jones.
0: Let's talk about the fight itself. Uh, John Jones will be facing Anthony Lionheart Smith. That guy, you know, he's gone on... He's gone on a tear in, in the light heavyweight division. Uh, what challenges do you think Anthony poses against John Jones that John Jones may have not faced before? I don't know if there's any, any challenges that John hasn't
3: faced before, because John has faced such a great list of, of opponents over the years. The one thing that really has stood out for me with Anthony Smith, even before this run of things, and even before getting to talk to him this week, because this is a guy that that's just always in there. Like he doesn't he doesn't go away easy. There's no quit in him. There's no real backing down on him, backing down in him. And so, I think the thing that John has to contend with is that this is a guy that's just going to continue to press forward and continue to. To push and make you work for every inch that you want to get and he's going to make it difficult for John to do as he put it to me on Tuesday John wants to play his game John doesn't want to fight me and I've taken out a couple swear words in there because mm. you know family listening
0: right um. <laughs> as all my viewers are family listeners yeah <laughs> <laughs> but Anthony but Anthony wants to go out and make this messy and make this ugly
3: and make this a dog fight and I think that's gonna be a really interesting wrinkle i still think john jones wins because john jones is probably the greatest fighter of all time in terms of what we've seen in the cage but everybody that's saying like this is just a stay busy and this is you know anthony smith is just the guy that's around right now and and he's kind of timed this right i don't think beating vulcan olsamere like that out in moncton is is just being the guy that's around that's three great wins in six months, and, and yes, Rashad Evans was on the downside and ended up retiring. Shogun, we all agree, is on the downside, even though he rebounded with a win after that loss. But to go out there and fight in the way he did and for it to play out the way that he and his head coach Mark Montoya blueprinted and planned for instead going in, you're going to have to wear on this guy for the first couple rounds and it's going to be ugly and I'm going to look like I'm getting beat and I'm probably going to lose the first couple rounds but if I can get it to three and he starts tiring out I'm not going to get tired I know what I'm made of I mm-hmm. can get him there going forward and that's exactly how it played out so I don't think this is just a, a stay busy for John Jones I don't think this is an absolute layup for John Jones I do think he wins but Anthony... Anthony Smith is a is a live dog to me and as several people I've talked to several friends if you've got 20 bucks that you don't care about go and get some of those yeah. long Anthony Smith odds because yeah. we've seen crazy happen right like Paulie Holmes wasn't supposed to be Ronda Rousey Matt Farah wasn't supposed to beat George St. Pierre like these things happen sometimes and so we could see another one on Saturday.
0: Does Diego Santos get the winner? I mean, I would, I would think so, but it's also going to depend on
3: John and DC, kind of the overall idea for his future. Okay. Find a way to see what happens with D.C. You mentioned in there, obviously, I think. If they could get that fight as the main event of International Fight Week at heavyweight, and John w- could agree to go up, mm-hmm. um, he would have a couple months to to make that move, to add some mass, we've seen them do it in the past, then I think they would probably do that. Tiago Santos would have to kind of hang out, and wait and see what happens. But that to me is the only way that that happens. I don't think there's wow. anyone else beyond Tiago Santos right now. Maybe if Dominic Reyes goes out and have a great performance against Volkan Ozdemir again, um, later this month in London, then he can kind of work his way in there, But Given what Santos has done in his last three, he's he's in the he's a clubhouse leader for the next shot to me.
0: That would be huge. Uh, International Fight Week, even um, you know that that's the July card. Um, always the big UFC card in July, and then they're even talking about Conor McGregor and Donald Cerrone maybe uh, being a part of that as well.
3: Indeed, and mm. I I think that's I think that's probably the best place to make it happen. I don't think DC wants to stick around too long. I know he's obviously pushed back his retirement because he turns 40 at the end of this month. Um, and so he does still want to get a couple fights in, but we'll see what happens. I mean, the talk was always Brock Lesnar. They staged that big thing and after the steep NBA was a right. got one instance then. And so we'll kind of have to see John's plan, where DC's at, how Brock sits in there coming off WrestleMania next month um, or this month, sorry. And and kind of decide there but John wants to stay busy I talked to him last week mm. he wants to be active this year he wants to get three fights if he can and he wants to you know really kind of the way he's framed it is give back to the fans that have stood by him through these last few years where he's only fought once a year or not at all and so I think we see him back in the summer for sure
0: you know the 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 card tonight uh tomorrow, whatever, whatever you want to say. Uh, it's, a, it's absolutely stacked, you know, top to bottom. Um, so, I want to get into all of it. Uh, we have Tyron Woodley and Kamaru Usman in, in the co-main event. Tyron is a guy, you know, we've seen defend his title several times and he just keeps getting better and better. And, but, you know, Kamaru Usman, he's kind of a similar fighter, you know, maybe a little less powerful, but a very good wrestler. Uh, a guy that you could see definitely standing in there with Tyron for maybe five rounds. Who do you see coming out on top in that one?
3: I give the edge to Tyron just just from the standpoint of he have got the championship experience. I know that probably may sound weird to some people because Kamaru Usman has been in five-round fights for his last couple fights and looked very good. I do think Ousman We've seen
0: the same has- thing with Darren Till, though. I, I think you have a point.
3: Yeah, and, I mean... I think Luquan has the better gas tank. I think he has a much more well-rounded game than Darren Till did. Um, this isn't a fight where Tyron's going to be. I don't think he's going to be able to go in there and just take this to the ground quickly and get it done. But I think the defensive ability that sort of the, the, the way Tyron has been able to figure out how to fight now to maximize what he does can serve some energy, shut some guys down a little bit, I think that's you know there's there's no way to account for how a guy's going to react when you're coming out in front of 18 20,000 people and there is that championship pressure and it is all of the things you've been working for and all of the things you said you're going to accomplish sitting right in front of you and I think that it's almost like we always talk about with hockey and things like that teams need to get there and understand what it takes to get there before they can understand what it takes to win and i think that works in tyrants favor
0: this weekend so my main event uh in this one <laughs> is robbie lawler and ben Askren. you know i think even even the last time we talked which was months ago we were, we were talking about this one um and ben Askren, uh you know i guess what he's been saying is he's getting thrown to the wolves ufc has given him their toughest guy and robbie lawler you know he's. He's protecting that gate uh, that the UFC so preciously stands behind, and Ben Askren's game plan will be no surprise to anybody. He's even said, "I'll come out there and I'm gonna uh, take Robbie down. I'm gonna give him the single leg. I'm gonna wear him out." Do you see Robbie flipping the script on this game plan in this fight? I mean, it's it's what makes this such an interesting fight, right? Is the Robbie Lawler one have?
3: insane striking as we've all seen Mm. over the years to he has terrific takedown defense and so is Ben Askin going to be able to do what Ben Askin has done for so long? It's really interesting, it's it's a little bit tough that Robbie Lawler's coming back off a long layoff, coming off an ACL injury Um, he is a little bit older he does have a lot of miles on him so all of those things kind of factor in but as far as you know, not giving Ben Askren a layup I, I agree with Ben, he's been in a tough assignment here, I very much think Robbie Lawler can go out and win this fight I mean, Ben Askren hasn't faced a guy that is as well rounded and as dangerous as Robbie Lawler in quite some time and so it wouldn't surprise me if Robbie Lawler got a victory, it would be a big knock against Ben Askren if he came out and, and caught Nell right off the bat but gonna be really interesting I'm gonna do it it's high on my list
0: of fights that I want to see this weekend yeah um, Robbie's always exciting to watch I I would love to see Robbie win that fight I I don't I don't know if we do though I I I just keep picturing the fight over and over and I I just think Ben Askren is gonna do what he always does and uh, you know both both, okay so now my question is both Ben and Tyron Woodley both in the welterweight division they both fight out uh, fight out of Milwaukee if Ben wins and if Tyron wins what happens do you ever see these two guys fighting each other
3: no absolutely not they are they are quite literally like the buddy cop show that you're seeing this week isn't just like this isn't a new thing this isn't they've got to be really close over a couple of years they go all the way back to, to wrestling days at the, the University of Missouri right uh, in, the, in the early part of this century and so this is 15, 16, 17 years for these guys. Um, I've asked Tyron about it. We've joked about it in the past because he sort of said that his time at the top of the welterweight division is the everybody can get it tour. And so tomorrow <laughs> Usman's going to get it this weekend. Colby can get it after that. And so I've, you know, jokingly slid in there. So does Ben get it after that? He was like, no, Ben's never getting it. No. Nah. That's not happening. Me and Ben aren't fighting. We wrestle enough. We've, we've put in enough rounds against each other in the gym but it won't happen and, and I understand that it makes sense I mean Tyron's Tyron is chasing absolute greatness he is chasing legacy he wants to prove that he is the best welterweight in the world at, of all time and one of the best fighters of all time and I don't necessarily think he needs to fight Ben Askren to make that happen
0: Mm-hmm. yeah no that, that was uh That was quite odd, you know, I I think Colby was trying to make himself relevant. Did you see the video (laughs) of him going in the casino, with talking to Dana, and while Dana was gambling?
3: I did, and I mean, while I appreciate what he's trying to do, it just really makes me think of, and this may date myself, it makes me think of the Chappelle's Chappelle's show when, when Keeping It Real goes wrong, like... You're, just, right. you're trying to do too much here, Colby. Yeah. There are times where you need to just, you know, you need to understand that tracking down your boss off the strip, at a casino, at night, while you're recording them, is a real quick way to end up back on the pre
0: <laughs> No, you're right. You're right. And great reference, too. Um, so... One more question before before I let you go. Um, I know you love the featherweight division and these two guys, Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier. They have been in the featherweight division for so long, and, and you know Dustin Poirier has obviously gone on and uh, he's looked dominant um, at lightweight. And what were your thoughts when you heard Max Holloway will be going up in weight and fighting Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight title?
3: The fan part of me and the person that's super excited to get to watch that fight next month did a little happy dance here at my office and was really excited. Right. The observer chronicler of the sport, guy that kind of tries to break stuff down and think things through a little bit more long-term is a little confused. Um, I don't see the need. I understand why. I understand why everybody wants it. I understand why the UFC wants it and Max wants to do it and things like that. I think there's opportunities for Max still at featherweight. I think there's guys that are in line or fights that they could make fairly soon for him to still defend that title. I think there's you know Tony Ferguson in line at lightweight already. It's weird that there's an interim title
0: fight that he isn't involved in. Now I understand that. What was the deal of- with that, by the way? Because I don't think that I followed the news. I I, I don't think I followed that. Uh, so the way, the way I've heard it and the way that it's been reported is that the UFC wanted to make Max Holloway against Tony Ferguson And then Tony Ferguson turned it down He turned um, it down because he didn't want an interim title? I think there's probably a bunch of different layers to it He's had the
3: interim title before, it didn't do him any good uh, He got, It was stripped when he lost he got hurt and couldn't fight Have in a unification fight mm-hmm. He's also gone out last year and fought on that same card with Khabib and and Conor McGregor and had a great fight against against Anthony Pettis where he stopped a former champion. Mm -hmm. And so I understand him saying, I've done enough. I haven't lost in seven years. Look at what I've done. I don't want to have to go out and thank this guy that has never fought in this division for an opportunity that I've had two, three, four times over. But what a
0: fight that would be, though. What a fight. Tony Ferguson versus max holloway that is a dream fight
3: and that's that's the positive position that the ufc is in right now they have an embarrassment of riches between sort of bringing max up and these top guys at at lightweight and so when tony ferguson says nah i'm good they could just tap dustin tapped up the poirier in right and he's like yeah right and dustin has said all the right stuff too like he doesn't know why this is happening this way, but he's not going to pass up this opportunity. He's been chasing gold for a number of years. This is his chance to, you know, even if it isn't guaranteed, even if it isn't in writing, you walk, you know, traditionally interim titles get you a shot at the undisputed champion. We don't know for sure that that's going to happen, but it's it's an easier way. It's a better way to put yourself closer to that opportunity, and then it falls on the UFC shoulders to make it happen or explain why they're not and so
2: yeah
3: it's a crazy fight it's gonna be a bonkers fight like I'm gonna go absolutely bonkers watching that fight next month and the interim middleweight fight like that's a great fight too I don't like interim belts I wish we would just let champions defend their titles and have you know number one contenders and UFC not get backed into a corner but so far they haven't given me a job running that promotion and so (laughs) they're gonna do
0: what they're gonna do I I hate to bring up you know these things that you've probably already gone over your head millions of times but what is what is Tony Ferguson thinking if you know if Max Holloway if he he's going up in weight he wins an interim belt they're gonna give Tony Ferguson the fight against Habib over Max Holloway who's you know gone up on this interim belt maybe by the time you know November comes around Max Holloway he'll uh vacate that featherweight title tony ferguson thinks that he'll be next in line after all of this
3: that's the part that's really interesting to me and that and that i can't actually solve myself um i think maybe there's a little bit of kind of wait on the sidelines and see if one of these guys get hurt mm. i mean the, the thing we don't know is maybe he's actually hurt maybe he's kind of just getting back from from rehab and something that's, a that's a good point that's a good point Getting close to 100 percent and didn't feel because when it first came out, he talked about you know I fought in October, I took some some lumps that I didn't necessarily need to take, I'm a little banged up. It would have been not necessarily short notice, but six weeks basically or eight weeks to to get ready for Max, and that's a tough fight. And so maybe there's some of that in there, and he's hoping he can just kind of hang around and wait and see. And if somebody gets hurt, then he's the obvious choice. Or or maybe an easier opportunity. And, and believe me, I don't think ally Quinta is an easy fight, but maybe an opportunity like that comes up and he takes that route and says, I'm going to go out and, and finish this guy that Khabib didn't finish, yeah. add another win to my winning streak, keep myself moving forward, but with a little less risk, with a little less punishment, and and see what happens. Because the other part is, we don't even know what's going to happen with with Habib at the end of the year he has said he's going to stay out through the duration of his teammate suspension so he's able to come back wow. earlier but his guys are out until October he wants to stay out until October yeah. so I don't think we see him until November and then you know
2: I think this interim champion yeah. there's GSP there's the Connor rematch which
3: doesn't make any any sense in terms of the way that first fight went yeah. But it made a ton of money, and so that's always a possibility, especially if Connor goes out in July and fights Cowboy and wins that fight. And so, to me, it's it's a bit of a miscalculation, in my opinion, for Tony. But, you know, he, this is why he has a management team around him. This is why he has, you know, a bunch of wins, consecutive wins over seven years in the UFC, and I'm just the guy that talks about it.
0: I'm, I'm going to steal your word, uh, Spencer. We are living in a bonkers time. Uh, things are exciting right now in the UFC. Uh, UFC 235 goes down tonight. Uh, Spencer, as always, man, thank you for uh, for joining. And we're, we're going to watch this pay-per-view, and, and I'm sure we'll chat about it. Yeah, for sure,
3: man. Anytime. Thanks.
0: All right. And Thanks, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is Spencer Kite, MMA writer for SportingNews.com. Always fun having him on the show. Um... Okay, so here's something that I wanted to talk about uh, that happened last week. Um, if you guys are fans of comedy, and if you're you you watch, you know, comedic podcasts, or if you follow a lot of comedians on social media, you would have heard about this one for sure. Um, Brody Stevens uh, took his own life last week. Brody Stevens was a comedian who. Who's from LA, and he regularly performed at the Comedy Store. Um, Brody Stevens was, I guess, he had started off um, his career as a warm-up guy for Chelsea Handler. She had a late-night talk show called Chelsea Lately. He was a warm-up guy for that show. Brody Stevens then kind of went on and, you know, had had a bigger name for himself, and he was a very original. He was a different kind of comedian um and i would strongly recommend that you guys go and watch his stuff if you guys don't know who brody stevens is you know pause this podcast right now and and go look him up on youtube brody stevens was a guy who um you know he would just say things that not normal people would say but not only that he had this ability to light up a crowd he has these crazy stories of him um performing. Uh I guess there there was this one story and, and it was industry night at, at, at um at some comedy theater and every comedian was bombing. But Brody had the ability um to go out to onto a stage and uh get his guests engaged, no matter who they were, I guess the guests were a, um, you know, a bunch of agents, and, they, you know, it was a very cold crowd, and you know, they didn't want to be there, but Brody was the type of guy who was able to actually crack them, and he was able to actually get them to laugh, he had this very special ability to make everybody laugh, and he was just, it was just a different person his type of comedy it's it was just different I'm a big fan of comedy and you know I started binge watching Brody Stevens maybe about five months ago five six months ago and um you know I, I really liked Brody and I would have loved to, to have seen him uh so there, there's just crazy crazy stories of him Chris Lee has a story of him on his podcast Congra- congratulations of Brody like, just being on the stage, and people loved him so much, that they wanted, they wanted him to stay out there, like, it was other people's turns to come on, but I guess, like, the next five people had given their spots to Brody, and Brody was just lighting, lighting the crowd up, um, so, so, yeah, I, I, I've been watching a little bit more of Brody's stuff, um, lately, uh, you know, Just because a lot of lot of his stuff has just been coming out now, Comedy Central released his special, which I watched, and they also released um, a show that he was on that I never even knew. I never even knew that he did a show, but he did a show called Enjoy It, and they released all of his um, episodes on the internet for free. And this show has given me tremendous insight on Brody's life. And the downward spiral that may have caused him to actually finally end it. I learned that Brody uh, suffered from bipolar disorder, um, and this was just something that followed him. You know, unfortunately, throughout his entire life. And in the show, you can see how it affects him. Um, there's actually there's actually several times in the show where he talks about suicide, and there's moments in his life where he wants to end it. Um, and there, there's also this doctor that's in the show and the doctor will, um, he'll kind of, something crazy will happen in Brody's life. And then the doctor will kind of break it down and, you know, explain what is going on inside the mind of someone like Brody and someone who suffers bipolar disorder. And so the doctor will explain what is going on, um. There was a particular episode um, that may have allowed me to have seen the pain that Brody Stevens may have been going through um, right up until the last days of his life last week. Um, in episode 7, so this happened 5 years ago, 5-6 years ago, um, but it would makes sense that um this is also what happened to him uh you know a couple weeks ago and, and leading up to to his suicide last week. So in episode seven Brody is uh he had gone off his medication for a while and he has to start taking medication again. Some, something must have happened in his life that made him uh you know, he, he wasn't able to handle it. He, he was good for a bit, but then he needed to get back on the medication. But the hard thing for him, the hardest part of all this, was actually adjusting to the new medication. And Brody, he describes the pain and the mental exhaustion of his brain having to adjust to this. And it seemed extremely hard, and it's almost incomprehensible if you've never dealt with anything like this. Um so for him that was that was the hardest thing for him to have done and the bo- the doctor explains that brody fell into a deep dark depressive state um because of this whole adjusting to the new medication thing um and it actually takes weeks for you know if the medication is working it actually takes weeks for the medication to even start dishing out the results that it's supposed to if it works, and that, you know, it, it only does for some people, it doesn't, doesn't work for everybody, um, so, I not only watched that show, but I was also watching, uh, some of Brody's Periscope videos, Brody was a guy who, um, he used Periscope a lot to communicate with, with his fans, Periscope is just, like, this live streaming website, where he'd be, like, walking down a street, and he'd be talking, uh, like, on his cell phone, and, fans could like message in and he could talk with them so Brody Brody did that uh a lot and I think that that was that was a big coping mechanism for him um so I was watching these videos and uh somebody actually released um his very last video that he had done and I was watching it and in the video he's describing where he actually is taking new medication, and he's, his brain is trying to adjust to that new medication. So this was, you know, less than a week leading up to his death, and it was the exact same thing that I had seen from the television show. It's his brain trying to adjust to new medication. Um, I'm not a doctor or anything. The, the medication was Laxapro. I don't even know what that is, but it's a medication to treat bipolar disorder. Um, but you know what, it, it it's the exact same thing that happened in the show, he got off his meds, and, you know, there was, eventually there was just something that happened to him, where he needed to get back on them, and, you know, unfortunately, for a lot of people, um, he, he ultimately wasn't able to deal with it this time, and he, he took his own life, um, and it's extremely sad, uh, you know. Because these are things, there are things like this that you know we just can't comprehend um, because we've never dealt with this kind of stuff. But I would imagine it was it was not only sadness Brody felt, but it was it was just pain and it was fear um, that are just kind of consuming his body. And you know, if you've ever done any research on bipolar disorder or if you suffer from bipolar disorder, then you know that this is an insane, insane disease that consumes your body, I mean, I've never dealt with anything like it, so so reading this stuff, it's it's kind of hard to even comprehend the amount of pain that, that some people have to go through who suffer from it, um, and I mean, I've dealt with depression before, who hasn't, but bipolar disorder is completely, completely different, um, it causes your brain and it causes your mind to just kind of go uh, a little crazy, and and um, you know it's just something something very hard for people to live with. And you know I'm sorry for Brody, and I'm sorry that for how things ended, and I'm sorry that he had to deal with all that throughout his life. I hope he's in a better place now. Um, I I, w- I would hope that something like this would be would be serve as like a wake up call. But I, I don't think that it ever will be. Um but at the end of the day I think that we just need to understand that there's sick there's sickness out there and we, we don't have any cure we don't have a cure for it. Um you know, and it's, it's like cancer. Uh, you know, some cancers. There's zero cure for it, there's zero ways to cure it. And just like bipolar disorder, you know, there's no way to cure it. Um, so it's sad. And uh, you know, I it's um, Brody was just an awesome, awesome comedian, and I would just highly recommend that you watch his stuff on YouTube because this guy was very, very funny. And there's a lot of comedians out there. There's a lot of uh, you know television personalities right now that are very sad and that have been talking about Brody because everybody loved him. They, you know, I don't think there was any any person who who had anything negative to say about Brody because he was just a great, great person. Um, and he was a different type of character. He was just a different type of person. Uh, you know, moving on from that, uh, some good news, uh, professional wrestler, Roman Reigns, he, he was one of the, he was probably WWE's biggest, biggest guy, biggest wrestler for, you know, the past five ten years. Um, he stopped wrestling because he had leukemia and, like I said, leukemia has now gone into remission. So that's that's some good news for you today. Um, I don't got any more to say than that. Let, let's end this one off on a positive note. Uh, and and happy to see that, that Roman Reigns is doing well. Um, there's a lot of people that love him too. Leukemia is in remission. So that's good news. Uh, not, nothing more to say than that guys uh thank you for tuning in and listening as always um i've got work i I gotta go i gotta get out of here um i gotta get to work but uh thank you to Kristen anderson thank you to spencer kite uh for coming on the show today jerome mcginla his number gets retired tonight you can watch that um 10 p.m eastern time ufc 235 that goes down at 10 p.m eastern time uh Lots of sports for you guys today. Lots of sports. Um, As a great guy once said, enjoy it. Love you guys. Good morning. Peace.